This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. All right, 158 here on the Blitz 1170. Welcome in on this Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. My name is Jeremy Poplin. That is Matt Hubbard. Don't forget American Solera this Friday. Live Golf is going to be buying the first $1,000 worth of beer on Friday night over at American Solera. So you can show up between 5 and 9. That's, you know, as long as it lasts. Don't show up like at 8.30 and be like, hey, man, so I was buying beer. Well, we burned through the first 1,000, so what do you want? <laughs> it's 5 to 9 or until the money runs out. But they're buying $1,000 worth of beer that will have a DJ present, also providing hats as giveaways throughout the night. Uh, we're going to be there between 4 and 6 on Friday there at American Solera. Let's welcome in Eli Letterman via the hotline here on the Blitz 1170. Covers the Oklahoma Sooners. What's he, What's up, Eli? How was your weekend, man? Pop, it was, it was good. Uh, OU spring game in Norman. Off everything you'd, you'd hope for and expect. Uh, some, some surprises here and there, but... Sounds like you've figured out that it is not Dustin Johnson, but a, an actual DJ who will be at this event. That uh, is correct. Night. That is correct. Disappointing. I was a little bit confused <laughs> initially by the copy, and I'm glad that we were able to uh, to get that lined out. By the way, for those that are just joining us, here's how crazy things are at Colorado right now. Um, literally, I've seen two reports that it's 14 total players since Saturday Another report that says it's 13, and then Dennis Dodd just tweeted about eight minutes ago that it's 10. So, so many players are jumping in the portal of Colorado. We don't even know what number it actually is. Lots. I'll probably stick with 14, but uh, let's just say that that cheap-ass Rockland luggage that you can buy off of Amazon is not the same as Louie that Dion is trying to get uh, there in Colorado right now. It is uh, rather intense in Colorado. We'll spend some time on that a little bit later. But, Eli, uh, let's kind of give a recap. What were your initial thoughts from what we witnessed on Saturday down in Norman? Uh, initial thoughts were that it was, you know, the, the game itself certainly just maybe never really kicked off. I think the most exciting stuff probably came uh, just in that final minute there where, where Jackson Arnold threw the touchdown. They had the two-point conversion to, to tie it and whatnot or, or to go for the win, I guess. But there were plenty of things that, that stood out, and I, I think it all started with the defense. To me, that was the story of the day was, um, obviously going up against a, an offense that Brent Venables himself even said was, you know, meant to be kind of vanilla. They didn't want to show much. Uh, but you had individual performances on this defense that really jumped out. Desan McCullough, Reggie Pearson, Peyton Bowen. Uh, it was a, a really strong performance from a, a group that, as we've talked about so much, like needs to be better this year. They're hoping will be better this year. And, and for that, I think, from tone setting, even in a scrimmage that you can debate how you know, how much it really matters. Uh, I think that's what you would have wanted to see if you were a Sooner fan. We knew that McCullough was good, um, but did he kind of show out a little bit and and maybe have and look like the most active player who has probably the most experience at a position like that and even better range than maybe what we thought some, some thought that he had even at Indiana? Yeah, and it's funny because he last played in a row like this in high school and then he went to Indiana for a year was very successful at defensive end, but comes to, to Norman and is back in this sort of roaming, you know, free safety, you know, cheater role. But, it, you know, on, on Saturday that had him up on the line, had him in a, a linebacker spot and had him in the very back of the secondary points. He, he really was everywhere. And you can see the versatility and the speed and 
Um, I think Deshaun White filled that role pretty well last fall. You could just see the difference in terms of uh, the, the skill set that Deshaun McCullough has. But what jumped out to me, on, on top of anything he did, he had the, the pass breakup on the very first play, that Drake Dukes do, uh, double pass. Mm-hmm. But was it he and Brent Venables who were seemingly in constant communication all game. And obviously, Deshaun McCullough, for as talented as he is, is you know adopting a new defense and, and all that in a new role that, that has a lot asked of him. But you could really see that him and Brent Venables were, were speaking all throughout the game. Uh, and, and seemingly, you know, as, as Brent Venables looking at him as a leader uh, in the middle of this defense, at the heart of this defense. And so I think those were the two revealing things, was, was how good he looked in, in that role, but then uh, seemingly maybe a budding relationship there, at least on the field between him and Brent Venables. It became clear that Oklahoma did not even have a uh... – a single player that quite fits the bill like McCullough does last year at all. And you can see why there has been so much hype and then kind of the extra love because Venables kind of looks at that and is like, all right, now this is the type of player moving forward that we that we need. I, I think so. I don't think it's a knock on Deshaun White to, to say that, you know, or any of the other guys. You know, Justin, Justin Harrington uh, will, will be back, and he's going to play plenty of that role too. We even saw both of them on the field together. But – this is, I think, you know, whatever Desan McCullough becomes in this defense, you're looking at, at the profile and the prototype, I think, of, of what they want at that position. And you can see why it can be such an effective role. Because if you have a Swiss Army knife like that, a guy who can really, you know, do it all in that sense, that they give you a, a weapon and it's been a, a feature of Brent Venables' defense at Clemson. And it's, it's what they want here. And, and I, I think if you're looking for positives uh, about this this defense, even this time of year, it, it really does seem like they have pieces where they want them and, and the right kind of guys where they want them this year, more so than a year ago. What about the Wake transfer, the Bothroyd kid? How did he look to you? He's bigger than I think anybody that had at that <laughs> position last year. Yeah. Um, he, he's a, a force. And, you know, you, it's so hard to judge. They, they made that an offense-defense game because this O-line was banged up, but even not going split squad it was kind of a, you know, pieced together offensive line. So we don't, I don't want to make too many judgments there, but you could, you know, that's another thing you notice though, it's just a size, the size of a guy like Rondell Bothroyd, a new dimension they didn't have a year ago. And really up front, you know, I, I think the big takeaway for a lot of people was that this offensive line got pushed around and that might be owed to the fact that this is not their first team offensive line. And, and you, you had guys playing out of position, but, the other part of that is that this is, is, is a new look defensive line that they felt physically was going to be a big step up from a year ago, and we certainly saw some of that over the weekend. Well, I mean, the offensive line had a lot of dudes that left after 2022. I mean, some key dudes that are no longer there. And, yeah, in terms of maybe having the first string guys out there, it's it's all fluid, as they say, anyway, with waiting to get everyone back healthy. But the problem that at least started to show a little bit to me on Saturday was once you got and started to see some of the depth and lack of experience and also the, boy, we got a long way to go on this front, right, in terms of depth on the offensive line, at least from Saturday. Yeah, and it's it's hard to read right now because, you know, throw Walter Rouse, who is going to be uh, the most experienced guy on that, that line, or I guess probably him and McKinney Matoyer, probably about the same level there in terms of years spent. That's going to be a really big addition at left tackle when he's back to Stanford transfer. Perhaps they add in the portal between now and the, and, and the fall. And, and so the complexion of this offensive line, where it is today with the injuries and, and the fact that it might not be a complete group yet, 
is one end, but you know, you you make the other good point of you know this was such a sturdy group for them in a year where so much went awry last fall. The offensive line was stable all season long, and so if we do get to a point where whether it's injuries and, and coming down to the depth or, or this that this group just isn't quite where uh, where it was a year ago, that that becomes a new dimension. We didn't have uh, we didn't have a lot of conversations, I don't think. Uh, last fall about the struggles of the offensive line because they really were the, one of the most reliable groups. And and so perhaps that, that could be what we're talking about, uh, you know, a few months down the road. But I'd say right now, you know, hearing Bill Beaton both speak about it, he's got plenty of confidence about what they have and what they will have come August and, and into September. But it's with, with all the movement they have, you know, three guys probably on NFL teams by the end of this week uh, from that offensive line, it, it, it's going to be a changed group and, and could be a concern. Anything else or anyone specifically on that side of the ball, Eli, that stood out to you? Yeah, it was kind of tough. You know, the running game without uh, perhaps with an offensive line that was struggling and and without Javante Barnes and Marcus Major, it's hard to evaluate. Um, But, you know, you look at the receivers, DJ Graham made two big catches and we've heard all about his hands. Uh, You know, I don't know if he's going to be your third receiver, uh, behind, you know, Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops, at least not from the jump. But you could see all, all the potential, everything Emmett Jones and his other teammates in that wide receiver room have talked about, a guy with freakish hands. And, and we all know the catch he made against Nebraska a few years back. He, you know, looks st- still is very intriguing to me, as, as are some other guys in there. You know, Jaden Gibson uh, had opportunities, had a couple of drops, including that uh, two, uh, one on the two-point conversion at the very end. Um, I'd say it's hard to overlook Jackson Arnold, right? On a day of the offense struggled. Mm-hmm. We saw him throw some really nice balls. He, he broke off that run early on that got, uh, I think it was officially a four-yard run, but other people have it as a 64-yard run. Uh, but you know what? He, he also looked at times like a freshman, and uh, that's okay. As, as the thing goes, he's supposed to be getting ready for his high school prom. Uh, instead, he's on campus, and he, he looks both the part of the five-star quarterback of the future and also the part of the should be a high school senior yeah. and uh you know was, was getting his first rep so I, I think on the whole there it was actually all you could have asked for as an OU fan of, of seeing Jackson Arnold seeing the promise um and but maybe also for those who, who were clamoring for, for him to be you know QB1 that there's still a lot of progress to be made. yeah calm down on that a little bit uh there was a lot of head swimming moments from from Jackson he looks the part physically right which can really fool you at times um, and until you sit and watch what his reaction was to this where it's like he still had a few of those oh god panic moments right that he had like he had some really good throws in there when I would expect a young kid to be able to but that's a that that is a work in progress there for him that's something that you shouldn't have to worry about right now no and he's 18 years old and this is all you know this I don't think is a red flag I mean people freaked out about Arch Manning's performance in the spring game at Texas and, and Jackson Arnold, I, I think, you know, statistically and whatnot was better. But bottom line is we're talking about two 18-year-old two quarterbacks uh, who've been on campus for a couple of months. I don't think making any kind of snap judgments off that is, uh, is, is the way to go. Hey, let's jump back to the wide receivers for a moment. Am I – I don't know. I, I, I started off the program today, Eli, by saying – Listen, I'm not going to go overboard. This is the wrong show if you're expecting anyone to go overboard and start proclaiming things at all. I know you mentioned a couple of guys. Did I just come away feeling a little bit like meh on the receiver? It just seemed like that I was 
waiting to see maybe a few more things and it just didn't have as big of an impact as what I was uh, what I was looking for in terms of a position that has to have a bigger impact than what it had with the guys? Yeah, I think, you know, if you went into Saturday looking for – to figure out who maybe that third or fourth guy would be behind Jaleel Farouk and Drake Stoops, you probably didn't come away with any better idea. Uh, Gavin Freeman looked good, caught the touchdown pass from Jackson Arnold. As I mentioned, DJ Graham had a couple of plays. Uh, Angel Anthony, a couple of catches. He was also, uh, I don't know if it was really on him, but beat on that Peyton Bowen interception. Uh, he was the guy who was targeted there. No one jumped out in that respect, like you said, of, of, of really showing that they're going to be a new face that, at the front of this group. And that's why I, I, you know, I thought it in December in terms of, or December, January, in terms of the additions they made. And I'll, I'll, you know, it might be something to think about when this portal window opens again uh, of, could they find an impact wide receiver or someone who can bring more consistent immediate production in the portal? Because right now I, I do think there's plenty of potential and it could be any of those guys we just mentioned. They're still waiting seemingly from the outside uh, for, for someone to really establish themselves. Running back spot. Thoughts on uh, what we saw from Sawchuck. I think he's, you know, gonna. I, I wouldn't read much into performances from the other day from a, you know, statistical perspective with the with the offensive line and just the way the offense kind of had to run. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be a contrib again an instant contributor in the fall. And I think it will be fun if we're watching him, Javante Barnes, and Marcus Major all get their shots early on and and to really see who can establish themselves. I think that I think running back jobs uh, on teams that don't have I define number one. That's what those first few weeks are for. Uh, and, and I think we'll, we'll see who will really rise to the top. But that's another place that I think I've said it on here on, on your show that I felt maybe they should have attempted to target or I, I know they did, but gone out and gotten a veteran presence, a guy who's done it uh, for a full season. Because right now they don't have a running back who is, is you know, carried an offense for a 12-game season. And, and so that might be, again, a, a place they look at in the portal. But uh, you know, impact running backs in that kind of spring portal is, is those are easier said than done getting one of those guys. So at the end of the day, instead of going completely overboard, like I saw some doing, is it okay to say that they did show growth in the spring game? If that's what spring football is all about in the first place, they did show that they have improved in some areas, but let's not go overboard because there's still a lot of work to do in specific position groups. Correct. Uh, there was a lot to read into from that, uh, that game in Nebraska last year, right? That was, we, we walked away from there and we were talking college football playoff and we know how it went from there. And, and Saturday was a long way from that performance in Nebraska. So we can't make crazy snap judgments from a spring game. But I do think, you know, if you look at the individuals, that's uh, on, on defense, you look at the individual performances, I, I think, to give you the confidence that there's improvement here, that there's uh, certainly a whole lot more potential here um, at, at different spots. And whether it's newcomers or, you know, younger guys like Grayson Halton and R. Mason Thomas, who really looked Im impressive. Um, Jonah Lulu in a new position uh, up the middle was interesting. That's where the confidence should be. I, I don't think, you know, you necessarily look at, you know, X tackles and a sack for this one guy and, and start projecting. But, um, uh, you know, a performance like Kip Lewis, he, you know, he did have 11 tackles on the defense. A guy who might factor into the linebacker depth, that, that should be encouraging. And I, I think there was a lot of that on the defense. And, and that's where, if, if I were an OU fan, I'd walk away feeling much better about probably. 
Jeff Lebby had said that they were trying to clean things up fundamentally for Dylan Gabriel in the pocket, like slowing him down a little bit. What was the reaction after the game from Lebby and from Dylan Gabriel on his performance? I think just pretty up the middle. Um, I, I really do feel like, you know, for, for all the defense was about um, all this new flair and stuff, the offense, perhaps given um, the, the injury situation and also given that, you know, they as Brent Venable said, they don't want to show much uh, in, in a game like this. It's, you know, streamed on ESPN+. Plus. Anyone can see it. Um, I think it was just, you know, business as usual. I mean, Dylan Gabriel now has played, I would, I would think, in five spring games. And so I, I think for him, this is, you know, just another part of the process. And I, I think his challenge moving forward, and I guess it was no different last year. You know, he made a lot of efforts to really grow closer with, with his skill guys. But it's simply that there's new faces and, or, or guys they are going to need to produce who haven't produced in the past. And I think the challenge for Dylan Gabriel then is as one of the very experienced guys in this offense and obviously the quarterback is to be the the, the leader who makes that happen. Um, so, you know, 11 for 17, 140 yards, three touchdowns and a pick, I think is, you know, about as up the middle as it could have been for Dylan Gabriel. And I, I think that's good. Um, I, I think the, you know, the, the improvements they've got to make are, are for him fundamentally. And, and then also, just for this group to really kind of mesh again in the way they did a bit last year. Uh, final couple of things here. Let's uh, just get into the environment in general. Is it everything that Brent Venables had mentioned? I know in terms of stacking up overall attendance wise, it's just about, you know, peacocking their way, trying to get and impress a lot of people uh, with recruits that are on campus. But uh, did it live up to Venables expectations that he had from last year? I don't think you'll ever top last year in terms of 75,000 people there in Baker Mayfield, but uh, this was, I know this is what a, this was a strong and sustainable, I would say, I guess, in terms of the numbers kind of spring game. I, I think these are, this is where you want to be. I think ultimately they finished six uh, in the nation spring game attendance. Like that's, that's strong. And to do that every year is good. It doesn't need to be 75,000 people, but when, when you bring recruits and they're there, uh, it certainly doesn't hurt to have Kyler Murray and, and all the alumni back. I, I think they'd said Friday night for the Kyler Murray ceremony uh, or honors thing at, at the Omni Hotel in OKC, they had something like 400 alumni and uh, football alumni, and a whole lot of them were there on Saturday. I do think just create making that spring game something, and if, if it's really only about recruiting, if, if what happens on the field only matters so much, that's, that's all moving in the right direction. We know they've recruited well, and we know they've put an emphasis on it. And this feels like it's part of it. And, and I think keeping those numbers high in the crowd, keeping alumni around, continuing to, to make a big deal out of it is how you make an impact there in the recruiting game. And, and they're certainly still doing that. Yeah. And you only get so many times to take advantage of a coach leaving you for another job. That doesn't happen very often in Oklahoma, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that, that's where a lot of that number from last year comes into, right? It was a, it was a showing 100%. off moment. I mean, you, but I, I also think that's why the fact that, you know, you've got 54,000 back for this year, which certainly helps by the, the other element of, of the Kyler Murray statue and him being there. But I, again, if you keep it, keep it above 50 and, and make that spring game something every year. I mean, what, what was the reason that all those people showed up at Ohio State? Uh, unless they're, you know, maybe I don't know what they were doing that day, but that was just momentum and getting 75,000 people out there for a spring game got to be the same for OU each year if they're going to continue to make that kind of such a big recruiting deal and Brent Venables both in the lead up and, and when he, he had the, the mic in his hand on 
on Saturday at midfield. He said this is important um, for this program, and, and they, they proved it again on Saturday. Yes, they did. And uh, final one from me on OU spring game to you, Eli Letterman, is I think they're all on the same page here. You cannot go overboard. What you guys say on your podcast, like temper expectations just a little bit. There's still a lot of a great unknown that's out there. And there's still kind of an unknown with even what the next six days in the portal look like. How active do you think Oklahoma is going to be? Well, Brent Venables last week, you know, he was asked, where, where are you going to target? And he said, that's not for me to tell you. But he said, they've certainly identified places. And so, I, you know, we've, we've already hit on them. I, I would be surprised if they're not at least in on and, and trying to get on campus a wide receiver, you know, potential impact wide receiver, maybe a running back. Although I, I think they feel better about the running back depth uh, with where they are. But, I, I, you know, that could be a spot to look at, wide receiver, absolutely. And then defensively, I'd wonder if at linebacker there's, you know, a, a place for a, a more an experienced guy. But at the same time, you know, Jaron Kanick has, has looked apart a lot of the time. And Kip Lewis uh, really looks like he's made a step from a year ago. And so that could, again, uh, be a position where they feel like it's, it's less about needing experience and more just do they feel good about the guys. And if, if they do feel good about Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie and Shane Witter coming back, maybe they feel like they're stocked there. Eli, great stuff, man. Appreciate you for uh, coming on with us here a couple of days early, kind of giving us a recap of spring football there in Norman, and uh, keep up the great work of the world, man. Pleasure as always. Thanks, guys. That is Eli Letterman spilling all the tea right here on the Blitz 1170. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. The history of the NFL draft coming up here in about 10 minutes on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.